13 years have been doing mission work, as you know, you're a partner with us in Mexico. And I, every time I come home, I'm thankful for the United States of America. I love this country. I actually was not born in this country. I was born in France. My, my father was an American soldier. My mother was French. And I was drafted in the French Army <laughs> when I was 18 years old. But I went in the Marine Corps. And I spent a tour in the Marine Corps during the Vietnam era. And uh, not only in my American history in high school, but particularly in my military service, I learned to really appreciate this wonderful country in which we live. Every time that I stand, and I stand, to hear the national anthem played, especially by the Marine Corps band, <laughs> had to throw that in there. I just get chills down my spine. I, I got chills running down there right now. I love to pledge allegiance to the United States of America. And I appreciate the patriotism of many people, hopefully the most people that are in this country. But isn't it tragic that we're now in our time seeing old glory disrespected? I saw a picture on news just, long, just not long ago, a big crowd, and they were burning the American flag. I, I, I couldn't, that's so disgusting to me. And, and, and uh, people who are not appreciating our American heritage. Now whether past leaders were from the south or the north, I think we need to keep their statues and not destroy them and deface them like we have seen in recent months. But when you contrast the current culture with our historic past, it's quite a difference. You see the steadfast patriotism, the, the unbounding faith of our founding fathers. I mean, if you do any study of American history, you understand in the beginning of our nation, these great men courageously faced the forces of British oppression. They bravely fought for our freedom. They sacrificed their lives in the founding of our great country. And they wisely framed our venerable Constitution. But not only was there a strong patriotism, more notably, they had an unshakable faith in God and an abiding belief in the Bible. Our first president, at his inaugural address, said this. He said, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. We ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. Well, it was with that deep <clears throat> degree of faith in God that the Apostle Paul challenged the church at Corinth. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This morning as we worship the word together, I want to apply that very familiar exhortation to our need today as Christians to be steadfast, to be immovable, always abounding in our faith. And I want us to look at it from two perspectives in this context. First of all, the foundation for the exhortation. You know, there's certain chapters of the Bible that are just, very, they're just so special. Like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. And how about 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on love? And how about Hebrews chapter 11, that faith hall of fame? I mean, there's certain chapters that are just so uniquely written by the Holy Spirit through, through the prophets and apostles of the New Testament that are so rich spiritually, that bless our lives. And 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15 is one of those chapters. When you see the word therefore, in any verse of the Bible, you need to ask yourself, what is that therefore? And when you look at the 57 verses that precede that admonition uh, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, as I wish to remind us this morning, of, some of, the, of one of the great foundations of Christianity. He's talking about the reality of the resurrection of Christ and the certainty of our own resurrection. Listen to him as he begins in the in verses 1 through 3. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I have preached unto you, and wherein you stand, and by which also you have, which also you have received, which, and which also you have believed, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He arose again the third day, according to to the scriptures. What a great declaration. What a great foundation upon which we put our faith this morning. And so Paul looks at that doctrine of the resurrection and he says it demands that we demonstrate a faith-filled, gospel-centered life. Doctrinal declarations demands dutiful directives. We must rise up in faithful service to the Lord in our lives as Jesus rose up from the grave and gave us a future hope of resurrection ourselves. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 19. He said, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection of the Lord has passed already upsetting the faith of some. And then he makes this declaration. But God's firm foundation stands. It stands forever. Amen. We all know the benefits of a firm foundation in a physical sense, right? Beth and I had to spend several thousand dollars recently because 
We live in a strata of earth in Ridgeland that is called Yazoo clay. And that Yazoo clay causes the grounds to shift. And it affects the foundation of the houses. And we had to, we had to go in and redig uh, piers under our house and to stabilize our foundation. We had to do that with our church building. We have done it twice. But Paul is not talking about a physical sense uh, uh, when he says the firm foundation of God stands. But moving forward on a firm spiritual foundation of faith is far more beneficial. Amen? Because it affects our salvation. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that great faith chapter says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Link that verse with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. And so he emphasizes that in this chapter. How critical the foundation of our faith is. He says, for example, in verse 14, Put your eyeballs on verse 14. He says, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain. And our preaching is vain. In verse 17, he's even more specific. He says, if Jesus is not raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless. It's useless. And you are still in your sins. Now let that get a grip of you. Jesus decisively delivered us from the slavery of sin. The fear of death and He destroyed the works of the devil by His resurrection from the grave and gave us the hope of our own resurrection. And so belief must always affect our behavior and behavior is based on faith. God's firm foundation stands. Now, I've been talking a lot about commitment and revival and, and service so, uh, last Sunday and then this morning in Bible class. And, and you might object by saying, now wait a minute, John. Doesn't Ephesians 2.89 say, For by grace have you been saved, undeserved favor of God, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, absolutely. But read the next verse. For He has created us unto good works. We are His workmanship because of His workmanship in the death and the burial and the resurrection. How many times have we stood to sing Him and did not our song leader do a great job this morning as you did last Sunday? We, the singing here is great and I appreciate it so very much. And it is quite an evidence for God's wisdom in ordering a cappella singing in the worship of the Lord. So thank you for lifting up your voices and singing like you have. But I love this song. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can we say that to you He has said, you who to Jesus have refuge have fled. You know, ever so often, unfortunately, things happen 
that shake us to our foundations. Like COVID, a worldwide pandemic of a virus that has killed over a million people. 220 more thousand right here in America. Many hundreds in Mexico where we do mission work together. And then what about hurricanes? You've experienced that here in Lake Charles. And, 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 and when you consider the upheaval of our country due to the present presidential elections, I mean, it, it, it's so, many, so many things happen. It could be a serious illness hit your life. It, it could be an unexpected financial reversal. It could be an, an unanticipated accident that takes a child's life. It could be an untimely loss of some loved one, a, a husband or a wife, a broken relationship. And in all of those circumstances and situations of life, sometimes it leaves us confused. It leaves us with a sense of, of feeling helpless and hopeless. And we begin to wonder, is there a foundation upon which I can begin to rebuild? Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. There is no foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12 and verse 28, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Then let us offer to God sacrifices of praise that with reverence and with awe. The second perspective that I want us to see on this great passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not only to see the foundation of this exhortation, but look at the force of this exhortation. And what he does is he gives us three earnest exhortations. First of all, stand firm. Stand firmly is what he says. And this is present imperative command from the Lord. Be steadfast. Christians are called to a maximum activity, not a minimum passivity. The force of the command literally is keep on being steadfast. And it refers to that which is seated and settled and secure and sound, rock solid, something that is strongly situated that is firmly fixed. And so because of resurrection assurance, we must stand ground because of, because of this grand truth that sets us free. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It secures our souls. It stabilizes our lives in a very insecure and, and uh, unstable world. Gospel truth cannot be improved upon. 
It can't be dumbed down and made more attractive and acceptable to the world. Never will be. It's non-negotiable. Too many Christians are straddling the fence instead of standing firmly on the faith. As somebody said, they're sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. <laughs> and so the exhortation, stand firmly. What about Isaiah? Old brother, Messianic prophet Isaiah. What did he say in Isaiah 7 and verse 9? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Alexander Cam uh, Hamilton was one of the great founding fathers of America. And he has been credited with saying this, if you don't stand for something, you'll do what? <laughs> you'll fall for anything. Romans 11 and verse 20. Just look at some of the passages of Scripture. I mean, it's, it's over and over and over. It's repeated. Stand firm. Romans eleven twenty. But you stand fast through faith. In the very next chapter, in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 16, Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In 2 Corinthians letter, he says, for you stand firm in your faith. Chapter 1, verse 24. Philippians 1, 27, Paul says, well, there I come and be with you or else be absent. I may hear of your affairs that you stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In Colossians 2 and verse 5, Paul says, I delight to see how orderly you are, how firm is your faith in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 6 and 14, Paul spoke to the Ephesian church, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. One of them is the shield of faith, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And then Peter warned saints, of our adversary, the devil, that goes about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. I love this song, standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. So stand firmly. The force of this exhortation also says, Be strongly faithful. Be stubbornly faithful. The word is, be immovable. And by the way, that's an imperative command. In other words, boldly hold fast to the bulwarks of the faith. The foundations of the faith don't let loose. Be unswerving. Be unwavering when you face false teaching. When you have testings and trials. Don't give up. Don't give, uh, give in. And don't quit when others are departing from the faith. And others are falling by the wayside. We must not be moved when the world misunderstands us. When the world ridicules us. When the tides of culture are turning such that they are, are, their riptides are sucking us under 
We have to resist that. We sing a song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. You know that song? He says, we're anchored in Jehovah. Through, though the tempest rages on the rock of ages, I'm going to be like a tree planted by living water. And so, be stubbornly thankful. Does that describe you this morning? You know, I love Brother Barnabas. Y'all know Brother Barnabas? Acts tells us about Mr. Exhortation, who was immovable. And he encouraged other Christians to do that. The brethren at Jerusalem sent him up to Antioch when the gospel was taken to Antioch and a church was established and, and, and souls were saved. And so they send Barnabas up there, Mr. Exhortation. And what does Barnabas say? He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. To the Colossian church, when they were facing false teachers, Paul said, continue in your faith, established and firm. Now watch it. Not moved without shifting from the hope held out in the gospel. When Paul wrote, or when Jesus wrote to the church at Smyrna, he said, be faithful. How long? How long, church? Unto death. Even if it means death. And you shall receive the crown of life. Did anybody do that? The letter to Pergamum. He pointed out Antipas. My faithful martyr. My faithful witness. Who was killed among you. Where Satan dwells. That happened in New Testament times. <clears throat> Church history records in 160 A.D. that there was an elder of the church in Smyrna, Polycarp. He was arrested by the Romans. He was accused of not confessing Caesar as Lord. Rome's last-ditch effort to try to gain the allegiance of the Christians, but they would not call Caesar Lord. They would not do that. Christos was curios. Lord. And so they sentenced him to be tied to a stake and to be burned. The proconsul gave Polycarp a choice. Curse Christ and live, burn and die. But he was stubbornly faithful, immovable. And he said, 80 and six years I have served him and never did, and he never did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? And thirdly, we've got to sacrifice fully. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. The NIV says, always give yourselves fully. I think that's what the brother read this morning in the Bible reading. Always means all the time. Perpetually. Persistently. Abounding means going over the top. It means rising above the minimum. Insert Matthew 5.41 right there. Whoever compels you to go a mile, go what? Go with him too. It's doing more than is required. More than the minimal. 
Do what is expected of you and more. I call it the and then some philosophy of life. And so abounding. The brethren said, Paul wrote to the brethren in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. And he thanked them for their work of faith, their labor of love, the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. In the second letter, in 2 Thessalonians 1, he wrote, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, as it is right because your faith is growing abundantly. The love of every one of you for another is increasing. And therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness of faith in all your persecutions and all your afflictions that you are enduring. Insert right there Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or reasonable worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we're serving God, we'll grow in our faith, we'll connect with the lost and we will help those who are in need. Listen to what Paul said in Titus 3 and verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent needs and not be unfruitful. And so that's the admonition. We've seen the foundation of it. And we now understand more the force of it. And when I think about what He is challenging us to do, church, the question sometimes comes to my mind. Well, Lord, let me ask you something. Is it worth it? What am I going to get out of it? And every time that I think that, my mind and my heart goes right to Revelation chapter 14, 12 and 13. Here is the patience, perseverance of the saints. Are you listening? Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice saying, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. For their works do follow them. And so in those last 14 words of that great exhortation, God has given us tremendous encouragement. It's worth it, brethren. What if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And I want to encourage you as we will begin to stand here in a moment to sing an invitation song. We don't close our services here at, at, at Enterprise Boulevard without giving you an opportunity to come to Jesus, your Savior. Butch did a marvelous job in prepping us for communion participation this morning and fellowship. 
I hope I've done a persuasive job today in our worship with the Word to prepare you to go out that door and to live for Jesus. But maybe then there's someone here this morning that has fallen so short. Your conscience is already convicting you that you need a revival in your life. You need a restoration. And this might be the opportunity for you to get right with God. Get your heart right with God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, let the words of the Great Commission sink deeply into your mind. Go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You want to be saved this morning? Then come and obey Jesus as we stand and as we sing.